grow yourself, and grow your marriage. and Jonna here with the Grow Yourself, Grow Your Marriage podcast. This is episode number 72. Yes. And on today's episode, we had a great interview with the CEO of Marriage Helper and her name is Kimberly Holmes. I am stoked about this episode and I'm here. I'm just going to break it down really easy for you about what Marriage Helpers is compared to Grow Yourself, Grow Your Marriage. Grow Yourself, Grow Your Marriage is like the preventative maintenance stage. We are trying to prevent you from complete and utter marital crisis, but we're in the middle of a crazy season. And I'm sure there's a lot of marriages that are like, Hey, Jonna and Chris, this is all good and fine, but your little grow yourself, grow your marriage tips aren't working at the moment. <laughs> Downplaying our show, aren't you? No, I'm saying if you're in utter crisis, you might need a little more help. And that's where, yeah, that's, marriage helpers comes th- in. I mean, absolutely. That's where Marriage Helper comes in. They have been uh, have been featured on a lot of really awesome publications such as Good Morning America, Fox Business, The Dave Ramsey Show, and The Today Show. So they've oh, done a lot. Oh, they no. they have they've helped a lot of marriages, and you guys are going to hear a lot of really good stuff as we guide you through this interview. I was going to say, I'm so excited. I was like about to start telling the story and then I remember they're about to hear it. Yes, they are going to hear it and uh, it's all, it's all really, really good stuff, guys. So without further ado, Kimberly Holmes. Kimberly Holmes, welcome to the Grow Yourself, Grow Your Marriage podcast. Chris and Jonna, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. We're excited. I can I can feel your energy to the screen right today, now. Yeah. Babe. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Chris is gonna have fun. This is big. Fun. You don't understand, Kimberly. <laughs> this is not a thing that is in his vocabulary. Fun? <laughs> fun. <laughs> Unless it's productive fun, it's not in it's oh, not yes, just productive and it's gonna be fun. This is be perfect. Yeah, there we go. Perfect. So as we told you guys, Kimberly is with Marriage Helper, and I just want to dive in and first have you tell our people what the heck marriage helper is, even though I guess it's kind of self-explanatory. Wait, she's a CEO. Of yes. Oh yeah. I'm sorry. The, the Come on, CEO. dude, give her her title. That's fair. The CEO of marriage helper. <laughs> y'all are, y'all are so fun. Yes. Well, so marriage helper, we do relationship education content and specifically kind of our niche niche, however you say it is for people who are experiencing marriage crisis. So the workshops and the courses and the content that we teach has been around for over 20 years. Over 250,000 people have gone through it. And we have a 77% success rate at saving marriages, especially marriages on the brink of divorce. So we see so many people, you guys, who their counselors, their pastors, their best friends, they all said, give up, move on, divorce, there's no hope. Those are the marriages that we see 77% saved. Okay, look, I already got I already got goosebumps because that number is fantastic. (laughs) And I'm so excited because I feel like we our goal is obviously one of our goals is to lower the divorce rate. So I feel like we're in the preventative maintenance side and then Mm -hmm. marriage helper is in like, nope, too late for preventative maintenance. I gotta like, I need help. So uh, where do we start? Cause I want to know about that number. How, how do you, well, can yeah. I ask this question first, Kimberly? So I think a lot of times people are like, yeah, but you don't understand. You don't oh, understand. Yeah. Like you mm-hmm. don't get where we're at. I'm sure you can't help us. Can, can you, I know I'm putting you on the spot. Can you give me like 
one of the craziest examples so people can be like, okay, all right. These people are the real deal. Oh, good. Oh, I can only pick one. Okay. So one of my favorite ones. Five if you want. (laughs) However many. Tell me when to stop. One of my favorite ones, and this is a common situation. So um, uh, it was a husband and wife. The wife was in the middle of an affair. He was trying to save the marriage. She didn't want to make it work. She ended up getting pregnant with the other man's baby, left her husband. They divorced. They were divorced for almost a year until she came back and said, what in the world did I do? I want to make it work. So at that point, she's having the other man's baby. They remarry. He, the husband, takes this baby in as his own child, and they are stronger than ever. They're one of the couples who works with us in our workshops now. They're using their testimony to help other couples. Um, That happens often. Full body chills shut the front door. (laughs) Okay. I want to know another one. Come on. Yep. Keep Give going. me another one. That's awesome. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> so the, let me just give you the backstory of, of myself and how I got into this business, which is going to be a yes. little different than, than maybe you're thinking it's going to be. So my parents got married whenever they got married, sixties. And in the 1980s, my dad was a, pra- a preacher, a very famous preacher in the denomination that he was in. So famous that he, his speaking engagements were booked five years out. Holy so holy. crazy. And I had two, I wasn't born yet. My two older sisters were 12 and seven at the time. Um, as a pastor, he ended up getting emotionally and physically involved within a woman in his church and divorced my mom. They were divorced for three years. And during that time, he will be the first to say, I did things that I never thought I'd do. I went places I never thought I'd go. I took substances I never thought I would take. He became a completely different person than who he thought he was. And during that time, he went bankrupt. He was, of course, kicked out of the church. Most of his friends turned on him. All of those things mm-hmm. happened. Um, and at the end of the three years, he realized he didn't like the person he had become. And he looked back and couldn't believe what he did. And so from that, he ended up calling my mom and saying and asking her to marry him again. And everyone in his life and her life said, don't do it. Don't don't you can't trust him. Once a cheater, always a cheater. All of this stuff. Well, she did it not because she loved him at that time, but because she knew that he was a good person who had done a bad thing, many bad things. And she knew it was the right thing to do, especially for their two children. So against the advice of everyone, she took him back. They got remarried. And as a celebration of their second marriage, I was born. So I was born into this family. Wow, that's awesome. And from that, uh, it was my dad who said, how did this go awry? How did we, how could we, and how do we fall in love again? So once they got remarried, uh, they almost divorced again because they hadn't fixed the problems of the first marriage. But they started doing research and digging. And my dad, of course, had a history of speaking, but he's also a PhD researcher. He began looking at it. And over the next 10 years, he dedicated his life to developing how to help couples. So it was my dad who first founded Marriage Helper back in the mid-1990s and had developed a three-day course. Yes, Dr. Joe Bean. So cool. Wow. 
Okay, sorry. Go ahead. I got really excited because I had looked that up. I was like, okay, she's talking about Dr. Joe. That's you know, like you know who I'm talking about. Yeah. So, so I I step in, and a lot of people ask me how, like, you're you clearly haven't been a you know a CEO of this company for 20 years because you can tell I'm I'm not over. I'm in my 30s, so clearly I haven't been doing this for that long. (laughs) And so they say, how did you get into this? And I love to tell them the backstory, which is I owe my life to a marriage being saved. I literally wouldn't be here if my parents didn't figure out how to make this work and save their marriage. And then even more than that, once I got married, my husband and I, I, our first year of marriage, people talk about how it's a honeymoon. It's the best thing ever. Ours was a living hell. I mean, from pretty much day two, I was like, what, what were we thinking? What have we done? And now I'm committed to this, right? And so it was hard. And especially the first four years were very difficult for us. My my husband was hiding an addiction I didn't know about. I was no sterling piece of silver either um, to where, because I was very much focused on, here's all the things he needs to change. If he mm-hmm. would just do this, that, and the other differently, and I would treat him as such. And I didn't even want to look inward and see what I could possibly be doing that might be pushing him away or making him feel disrespected or anything like that. And it wasn't until I realized I had to focus on me. That's the only thing I could do. The only person I could control is when things in our own marriage began to change. And so while my marriage hasn't been affected by an affair, it's been affected by pornography and lies and betrayal and other ways. We have a stronger marriage than ever before because we separately had to learn how to focus on ourselves so that we could love each other even better. So that's my personal story, my parents' story. The couples we work with, there's a lot of affairs, a lot of control issues, a lot of addiction, people who've been divorced for a decade who are now getting back together and getting remarried. So literally, we have literally seen it all. There is not something someone could tell me where I would say that's new because we've seen it all. Wow. I feel like right. you're the official new mascot for the Grow Yourself Grow Your right? podcast. <laughs> I know. Screw our logo. Forget that. No, it's no, just no, perfect. No. I mean, you're just you're a living example of what we also have gone through something very similar. We talked very openly about on that on our podcast. Our first few years of marriage were not a honeymoon and dealt with very similar issues. And yeah, it wasn't until we put God at the center and basically like that saying of like, take the log out of your own eye and stop Mm -hmm. looking at all of your spouse's um, Mm -hmm. flaws. But I feel like mainstream media, society, everybody, culture tells you like, no, you do you like they should be doing this, 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 you know, and it's such an easy out these days, right? It's just incredible. Uh, Yeah. yeah. Divorce is such an easy out. Oh, geez. The, the video we saw the 32nd, the 36 second video. Yeah. That on your uh, YouTube page. So powerful. So powerful. The, the statistic, do you, can you, can you share the divorce statistic with everybody? Yes. A divorce is, a divorce happens one, every 36 seconds, there's a divorce that happens in America. And there's, so, and even if a lot of people say, well, there's not as much divorce now as there used to be, which isn't true. So if you look at the actual data from the CDC, then 
<laughs> which is funny to just say this year. But if you look at the right. data from the right. Right. <laughs> of reported divorces, you see that it actually has started to go down. But what you, what it doesn't take into account is that states like California, Michigan, I'm pretty sure New York, a lot of states have stopped reporting their divorce data. So that's oh, a huge wow. thing. Um, wow. Doesn't take everything into consideration there. And it is, it really has become an easy out. When irreconcilable differences became an option for divorce in the 80s, we see that that trend of divorce starts to rise because all of a sudden there's this mindset of do what makes you happy. And Mm -hmm. if we are clashing and it's not easy to get along, then we have irreconcilable differences. We weren't meant to be together. I must have just married the wrong person. There's someone else out there for me. And I can be the first to tell you. And literally, we have 4,000 people contacting our organization every month. So we have quite a bit of data. And I can tell you, you didn't marry the wrong person. Because no matter who you marry, you're going to marry a set of problems. I'm a set of problems. Mm-hmm. My husband's a set of problems. The guy next door is a set of problems. And it's until we learn how to actually have good relationships, which starts from within ourselves, that every relationship is going to be difficult. It's working through it and being committed to it and getting past that hard stuff that leads to the lifelong satisfaction and fulfillment that we're ultimately looking for. And we're not going to get that by just replacing the person that we're married to. You preach. My neck's getting sore from nodding. I know. We're just- <laughs> yeah, dude. Yes. We always talk about the grass not being greener on the other side. That's something we told ourselves from the beginning, even though we had no idea what we were in for. Right. <laughs> we in for. It's true. But got to look at movies. I'm thinking about movies and um, just the way I was set up as a young girl to believe that my whole life was centered around finding the one and starting a family and having a house. And then I never dreamed past that. It was like, that's just the end all be all and everything's going to be perfect. And then, so I got married to this wonderful man and day two, kind of like you said, I was like, what did I do? What's <laughs> happening? Wait, he is a no one told me this was the reality. Nope. Yeah. That, what, right. what about the happily ever after? Well, and yeah. we have the bachelor, right? Oh, gosh. <laughs> we, we have, we have these, these 20 some women who are sobbing because they're upset that he didn't pick them to marry uh, when he was dating 18 other girls at the same time. And it's like, it's like we've, we've made marriage this joke. Uh-huh. Uh, and, mm-hmm. Another thing I was I was going to ask you, as far as the, st- the statistics go and stuff, we have seen that divorces had gone down due to the fact that people aren't getting married as much anymore. Yes, maybe because perhaps, yeah. they see that's they right. see like, oh, I don't want none of that, right? Yep, yep. Well, that's a hundred percent right. So, take my sisters and I, where my my so my oldest sister is mentally handicapped so she's a little bit different to to bring into this example that i'm about to share but my middle sister experienced my parents divorce when she was 7 they were divorced for 3 years during very formative years of her life i have the same two parents i've never experienced my parents divorce and when you look at us growing up when you see the way we got married the the way we act in our relationships She is much more, I mean, she's scared of being abandoned because that's something she went through when my dad left. And and so because she grew up, I think, in a culture and a time 
where marriage was still celebrated, she did get married. But there's a ton of people who experienced their parents' divorce. And now and now they're saying, I'm not doing that. I don't want to go through that hurt. I don't want to go through that pain. So we'll just live together, which I... <laughs> is not going to bypass any pain. It's if anything, it's going to lead to more because you don't have a commitment in your relationship, but the, you can see, you can see how divorce affects people. And when people are going through it, they say, well, the kids will be fine. The truth is, even when you look at the research, kids can be resilient. Yes, but it is going to affect them. I did when I was getting my master's in psychology, I did my final thesis on how divorce affects children. And the literature is clear that the worst thing that can happen to a child is that their parents divorce and continue to have conflict in their relationship. The best thing, of course, that can happen is that the is that the parents stay together and not that they don't have conflict in their relationship, but that they work through conflict in their relationship to where the kids see that happen. So. There's, you know, sometimes I think we have this image that, well, if we fight, then we must not be made for each other or we have problems in our relationship. No, 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 no. The fighting is healthy. The fighting and the conflict shows that you feel safe enough to voice your opinions. It's working through it and then emotionally reconnecting in a positive way after your disagreements that that makes or breaks the strength and satisfaction of your relationship going forward. And it's something that children need to see happen. They need to see people disagree and then learn to compromise with each other and still love each other after that's what they need. Yes. And I feel like the generation above us and probably your parents' generation was, was such a generation of like, no, you keep your, your issues private. You don't show other people. You don't show your kids. And then I think that leads to a lot of us growing up feeling confused, like, wait a second, my parents didn't do this. I don't know how to handle this. Like, that's not what I expected. Or you see your parents going through a hard time and you're like, you think your whole life was a lie. So I have a question about kids um, whose parents get divorced. Do you think, or did your research, I'm just curious, show a difference in kids who were actually kids when their parents divorced versus uh, maybe adolescent or adult Um. children? Yes. So it still affects adult children. The older it affects the child at any age, it's just different as to how those effects are going to show in, in the child's life. And the younger a child is, and this is a heartbreaking statistic, the younger a child is when the parents divorce, the more likely that the father will eventually completely disappear from the child's life. Because then there's more time for that, that, that dad to get remarried, to have children of his own in another family. And, and that break just continues to happen. And I've seen this in people that, that we've known my husband, the first seven years of our marriage, my husband was in the military. So we have a lot of friends in the military and a lot of which we've unfortunately known to get divorced. And we've seen this where there was, you know, one friend in particular, he's had a cup, he had a daughter with his first wife, they got divorced, he got remarried, he's had two kids with his second wife, he has absolutely no contact with his daughter from his first marriage anymore. And there's a lot of reasons, you know, the second wife doesn't like the first wife, you know, it's, you know, bad community, the, the conflict that's still present in the relationship there. And so that that's a different affect on those children, because they're going to grow up without as much presence of a father figure, whereas the older children, they experienced that stability of their parents' relationship. Even if it was 
quote unquote dysfunctional, they, they, they saw their parents together and there is something to be said about that, that we need as people. But then when it happens, if a divorce happens, when a child is an adult, then it feels more like a betrayal because now you're old enough to understand that mm, your parents could make a different decision. They could actually figure this out. They, they could do something to try and make this work and they're just choosing not to. So they, yes, it just affects in different ways and in different areas. Um, it's devastating. I, and I don't want people to hear this and think, well, I've been divorced or my parents have been divorced. Like, am I broken? Is my, is there any hope for my future? No, but I think it's important to be self-aware of this and how this, these things can affect you. And it's okay to say and realize to yourself that if your parents divorced or if you divorced, then it's hard for you that it was a difficult time and it's been a difficult path. And to realize how that affects you in your relationships and in the decisions that you're making because of what happened. Yes, it it changes a lot. So so my parents got divorced, well, separated when I was 12, divorced when I was 19. So it was like seven mm-hmm. years of hell, uh, just back and forth, confusion between the kids and all those things. And you're absolutely right. I mean, obviously, I wasn't in the adolescent stage. I was 12. But, uh, but it does, it does change things. It changes the association with family. It changes, it changes your relationship and your view on, on, um, your future spouse because you look at them and like, I know there were things that I think as a kid contributed to my parents' divorce that if, if Jonna would do one of those things, it would trigger me like, oh, oh mm. no, don't, don't do that. You know? Uh, yeah. and so, yeah, you are, you are absolutely right. I have a question for you, Kimberly, before, before we get into, uh, really the meat of this, which is the four things people can focus on to be the best spouse they can be. And we're excited about that list because to prevent divorce, <laughs> we are coming in blind <laughs> yes. to that too. So, so we're excited to hear that. Yeah. My question for you would be, I know you said you've seen it all, right? Do you, do you have any, do you have any, uh, do you have any advice for the couple that maybe didn't even start with a strong enough foundation uh, for whatever reason they got married. Maybe they were too young. Maybe it was okay. Kid out of wedlock, whatever. Right. They didn't have a foundation that look, I, I don't love him. You know, I don't love Mm -hmm. her. Like Mm -hmm. never did. Right. Mm -hmm. This actually segues perfectly into what we're going to talk about, because one of the things that we have discovered and found at Marriage Helper through our research and our work with thousands of couples is that there actually is a process to falling in love. And if you follow this process, then you will fall in love. But if you vacate or violate this process, then you will fall out of love, even if you don't mean to fall out of love. And we call this process the love path. And the process has four stages. Now, this isn't what I was going to talk about originally, there's a different four things we're going to talk about in a minute. But the process, the we call it the love path. It starts with attraction. And then an attraction is basically that area, which we'll hound on a little bit more in, in just a minute. But it's this is what typically draws you closer to someone. So whether it's you're attracted to them physically or you had great conversation or whatever it might be, there's just something about them that makes you pause and draws you closer to learn more. But that's not what keeps you in a relationship. It's that next phase of what we call acceptance. And it's in this phase, you get to know more about someone and you, and you start to learn more, not just about the facts of their life, what their favorite color is, their favorite movie, you know, their goals, but 
what their feelings are about how they feel about things that have happened to them, about things that they've done. Because it's one thing to know, as the example I gave earlier, it's one thing to know um, that my husband was struggling with pornography. That's a fact. The second, what what matters more is how did he feel about it? Did he feel like it was no big deal? Did he feel like it was, you know, just something that all men should do? It would make our marriage better. That would tell me one thing about my husband. But if I knew what that his feelings were and they were that he felt ashamed, that it stemmed from something that happened in his childhood and that he he wanted to move past this, but he felt trapped by it and he just didn't know how to move from it. Then that's a to- that tells me something totally different about him as a person. But at that point, I get to choose, do I accept him? Flaws and all. Am I going to accept that this is who he is? This is how he feels. And if I choose to accept him, that is what begins to really build that strong foundation to the relationship, which can move you into stage three, which is attachment. So in the attachment phase is when you're beginning to do things, do more things together. Uh, you're, you're creating more intimacy. You're building on your romance. You're becoming best friends lifelong partners. I mean, you're doing those things that really bond you together as two people, which leads you to the fourth and final stage, which most couples never get to, which is aspirations. And aspirations are when you and your spouse begin to make dreams about the future together that you want to work towards together. So typically in a typical couple, They're dating and they have a dream of getting engaged. They get engaged and then their dream is to get married. They get married and then the dream is one day to have kids. Then they have kids and what's next? And so you typically get into that rut of, well, then one spouse typically focuses more on the kids. One's focused more on work and you begin to drift away because all of a sudden you don't have anything pulling you together. There's no next dream. And so that's the fun part of what we teach at Marriage Helper is getting couples to that point of dream together. What are you going to do next? Like find something that binds you and bonds you because that's what's going to give you deeper levels of satisfaction in your relationship, but also it's going to keep you together. And then when you have a vision that you're both working towards, when there's conflict, it's not as big of a deal because you have a vision. You're working towards something and the little things in life that are annoying are still going to happen, but they're not going to derail you. And so if you follow that process and continue to follow, follow that process, it's something you follow every day that you're married. Every day I have to choose. Am I going to accept my husband? Am I going to do things to help attach to him? Am I, are we going to make an aspiration together? Am I going to continue to be the most attractive I can be so that he feels, continues to feel attracted to me? Those are things I choose daily. So that's why we say with that love path, if you follow it, you'll continue to fall in love or more in love with your spouse. But if you stop following that process at any point, then you can begin to fall out of love. It's gold. <laughs> it's gold. That totally, that totally, uh, hits on all the things we have guessed just in our young seven years of marriage where we talk a lot on here about empty nesters and how it seems like they do. They put their marriage on autopilot. Like you said, one puts into yeah. the kids, the other one puts into work and they kind of go their separate ways. And then it's like, Oh, we don't even know each other anymore. What are we even yeah. doing together? Yeah. The kids are gone. What do we do now? Yeah. But yeah. That's gold. Can we do a quick recap on that? Let me, let me make sure I got it. Okay. So first thing is attraction. The mm-hmm. second thing is, Jonna. wait, no, no, no. 
I you got, got this. You got this. You okay. can do four things. <laughs> Attraction. I'm not a good listener. I'm like your typical male, right? I was listening. It was really, really good. I was like, oh, this, this stuff is gold. Okay. So there's attraction, acceptance, mm-hmm. attachment, and aspirations. Yeah, that's it. You did it. A plus. I'm no so notes proud. here either. I'm no so cheating. Proud. No, we just wrote down the love path. That's all we got. I'm proud. That's gold. Do you got anything? Well, I had a quick question for you. Um, so what would you say is like the pinnacle? If you if you were to line everybody up, you guys have helped. Like, what is the one common theme that leads people to you guys? Um, I'm gonna give you a guess, and you tell yeah. me what you think. So, so, so here are three things that I'm I'm trying to really focus on right now and work on, and we're trying to figure out how to help people with, right? So it's it's the transition from exhausted to energized. It's a transition from disorganized to organized and disconnected to connected, right? And I think those are like separate tiers. And obviously the most important is connection. And personally, I feel like it probably comes down to connection as a result of what you're about to tell us. Mm. I like your, yeah, I like your levels a lot. I think that makes a whole lot of sense. I would say when people are desperate enough to come to us at Marriage Helper because of the type of things we talk about. Um, they are, I mean, they feel completely hopeless, but I think what they're looking for is a stabilization in their relationship, but also, did you say something about chaos? Earlier, we talked about our life is chaos. (laughs) You didn't just say say the word chaos. Okay. Their life is in chaos right now. Like they're in the middle of a hurricane. So what they're wanting immediately is some kind of peace, some Mm -hmm. kind of peace, some kind of calm that can bring clarity, that can bring, uh, that will stop their anxiety. I mean, these people are the ones who are up eight hours a night looking at every video on YouTube they can because they're like, I've got to do something. Like my my husband or my wife is out the door. They're gone. They do not love me anymore. I've got to do something to change things and get them to stay. Now, the downside to being in that space is you're going to do all the wrong things. When you're desperate, you act out of desperation. And we revert to childlike instincts, which work only when we're children. So what I mean by that is think of you have, you have young children. So you totally know this. I'm sure the separation anxiety, you might try and leave them at school or at the church nursery. And depending on what their age is, they're like, no, mommy, don't go. They're clinging to your leg. They're kicking and screaming, right? Because at a young age, we learn or our fear is the person that we love the most is about to leave me and I'm scared. So if I can do something to elicit a response in them that will make them feel guilty or let them see how much they're hurting me, then they won't go. And that serves a time and a place when we're, you know, 18 months to three years old. But when we continue to do that, when we're 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years old towards our partner, they look at us and think you're crazy. Like, You're making me want to leave the house even quicker because of the way you're acting. You're acting insane. And that's what we see people doing. So we had, there was a couple, uh, this was several years ago where she said, I followed him out to the driveway and banged my head on the cement until blood was flowing like a river and he still left. And we're thinking, yes, because he thinks you've lost your mind. (laughs) Like we understand your hurt and your pain, but you're acting in all of the wrong ways. This is not going to be 
what attracts him back. So one of the first things we teach is to stop these push behaviors and the push behaviors as we define it is these are things that are you're doing to try and get them to stay, but they're pushing them out the door. So things like the pleading, begging, whining, um, trying to start fights with them just so that they'll engage in conversation with you and stay or try to hover over them, control them, track them, break into their social media or their email to see what they're doing. Like all of these things we do because we're scared the other person's going to leave and we're trying to get them to stay. But none of those things work. That was a super long answer. And I don't even know. Oh, if that was great. No, it was, it was good. No, it was good. Like my head hurts though, from that example, I'm not going to lie. Right. What? You're like, just slamming your head on the concrete. Oh, yeah. your head on the like concrete. Painful. Oh. That's sad though. It is sad. Let me, yeah. No. Did yeah, you have a question me? I do, but you can go ahead. Cause okay. mine can be relevant later. I'm going to ask this question. I like to put people on, on the spot for some reason and not even tell them what I'm going to ask. So <laughs> you get to be that person. So, uh, <laughs> So my question to you would be, what's the threshold, um, like, what's the threshold that people would need to cross in order to be someone who would, would reach out to marriage helper and be like, yes, I need you guys. Like, for instance, mm-hmm. what has someone come to you and you've been like, look, like it, it ain't that bad, really. You're fine. <laughs> right. Um, so what would you say is the threshold to say like, yeah, we can absolutely help you. In in other words, who, who, who? Not not who won't you help, but who... When do you need... Are, do you mean like... Help me with this. Maybe there's a couple that's listening and like they're not happy right now because right. let's face right. it, we're in very you anxious, go, go. troubled times right now. And actually that kind of... Part of my question is if you guys have have seen an uptick in business right now because this is such a stressful year. Um, so yeah, the person who's not very happy right now, having a hard time, we're talking about stuff and they're like, oh, like, I don't know, maybe I need marriage helpers. Who is like, that? Maybe person? I'm not going to bounce my head on concrete. Right. But- right. Right. <laughs> that was an extreme example. So I will say oh, right, that's right. typically not, that's typically not what it is. But I even remember, I'm going to answer both of your questions, but I even remember when my husband and I were going through our crisis time, And I would do some of these similar things. I mean, I remember just crying because I was trying to get his attention. It wasn't even necessarily because I was, I mean, I was sad. I was heartbroken at some of the things that were happening, but there was this, this other part of like, I need you to see how much you're hurting me. Mm -hmm. And his heart didn't break because he saw me crying his heart broke eventually because of his own awareness. I was never going to be able to force him to, to feel what I was feeling. There's no, I mean, there's no way he can't feel what I feel, but over time he was able to see the change in me because when I, when he felt like I was forcing him to do things, that's what was pushing him away. And so that's what these push behaviors are. And I think these happen in a lot of marriages, even if the people aren't in crisis, because we want things to happen. Like we have expectations, we have frustrations, we have ideals that we bring into our marriage that we want to see come to pass. And if we're not super explicit and clear about what those are as we're dating or engaged or first married, then we're holding those inside. And then when they don't happen, we get frustrated. And then we want to do things to try and get our spouse to change or to see what we're wanting. And in that frustration is where some of these behaviors come. But so, and so to answer 
Chris's question first. A the... super long question, sorry. <laughs> no, it was... My question was, was so long. I think I asked it eight the... different ways. <laughs> <laughs> well, are the material that we use, the workshops we have, specifically the workshop we have, and even the content that that's... Well, no, I'll start with this. The workshop that we have that's been around for 20 years is for every marriage. We believe everyone should go through it, even when they're engaged, because no one teaches you how to be married. No one teaches you. And it's the most important relationship in your life. Yeah. Not not your relationship with your kids. That's second. Your most important relationship is with your spouse. Amen. And we aren't taught that. However, what's unfortunate is that most people don't want to invest in learning how to be a good spouse until it is hurting. I until they feel like it's too late, until someone is walking out the door and then they're saying, "Oh, now it's real." The truth is, there's been warning signs for probably years. And so it takes it unfortunately takes a huge blow up for someone to say, "I'm willing to now listen." I'm willing to now learn. I'm willing to now invest. Now, that being said, because we do attract those people who are in that very crisis situation, a lot of our content is focused around those things. So we get a lot of questions about my wife's in an affair. My husband won't stop controlling me. They, you know, they, they're addicted to narcotics or whatever that might be because they're in the thick of it. And that's, that's who's willing. We, our hope and desire is that from day one, people are saying, I'm going to be proactive and I'm going to focus on the things I can do now that will continue to create a healthy, a healthy, happy relationship. You don't want to get to the crisis point if you don't have to. Now, if you've been through it and you're going through it, an amazing testimony can come from your marriage because of it. So there's definitely no downsides. We don't believe that there's any marriage that can't be saved. Um, that being said, we can't force a marriage to be saved either. And there's always two people in the relationship who have free will, but we believe that every marriage can be saved if one or both people are willing to do the work it takes to invest in saving it. To answer John's question, um, I, the uptick. Yes. So During the beginning of 2020, like March, April, we had a huge downtick, probably because everyone was watching the news. Like no one wanted, no one was thinking about anything other than where do we even go from here? But overall, yes. And we've seen a huge increase even in our international clients because this year has forced us to take our workshops that have historically been in Nashville, Tennessee in person online. And so every other weekend we're having our online workshops. We're having people come from 53 different countries all over the world. So we've definitely been able to serve more people and reach more of our vision of saving marriages this year than we ever would have thought possible. See, God can take something as terrible as this year and turn it into something right? good. Yeah, absolutely. I love That's great. Okay. Did you have another question? No. Go, go I, feel, I feel like we're having the same question at the same time. I know we are. Telepathy, right? <laughs> it's just because oh, we have such saying, a good marriage. Such a perfect marriage. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're so in sync. <laughs> All right. That's hilarious. But the problem is she just took my question and threw it out the window somewhere because I forgot it. <laughs> I forgot but it. Hang on, hang on. Hang on. We even forget at the yeah, same time. Sometimes we forget. I think it's something we blame on the kids usually, but they're not here. Okay. Here we go. 
my question was, okay, how about this? I feel like majority of our listeners, I don't want to alienate anybody. I would say the majority of our listeners are not in a chaos place, right? Um, I would say the majority of our listeners are probably in a like- Going through the motions. Is this all? Mm. Is this all yeah. there is to life? Kind kind of to backtrack where you were, where you were talking about, okay, we got married, we bought a house, we had kids, and now, now we're just planning to die comfortably. What is happening here, right? And so what people do is they put everything to their kids. And one of the pillars of our show is, look, spouse over kids, it'll change your life. And so what would you say to the person who is who is like, yeah, we're not connected. Um, like we really don't even hang, hang out all that much. We're kind of like roommates, but like, I don't know, divorce is sticky, but I really shouldn't live this way. Like, ugh, mm. I feel like they need you, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Because the, there's a huge temptation that begins to happen there too. Um, not just in your thinking, but in, in life. I believe that, I mean, if we're going to talk Christian for a minute, um, that's where Satan tempts us where we say, eh, you know, I'm not super happy here. And then you start meeting people or you connect with an old boyfriend on Facebook or girlfriend on Facebook, and you're open to that temptation and you don't even realize it because you're not fully satisfied in your marriage. So to answer your question, what can you do if you're in that space? If you are able to have, if you have a good basis, a good foundation of communication with your spouse, then this is a great place to be. Because now you have so many things you can talk about. I would encourage you to start dreaming together and and not knowing exactly what situation the people may be in. I would say even just starting with, hey, what are what are some what are some dreams you personally have? What are some things when you were, you know, 22 years old, graduating college that you wanted to do with your life? And just start asking each other questions again. And as you're asking these questions, you're learning about each other. You're learning about what each other's hopes and desires are. And at the same time, you're kind of making a list of what are some things that we can start to aspire to do together. And if it's something you can't or don't want to do together, then it can still become how can we support each other in these endeavors that each of us want to do? So that's one part of this. Another part of this is, well, let me give, let me give some research to back up some of the things I'm saying. So there's actually a, tr- a three components of what, what comprise love. And it, this is based off of Dr. Sternberg's research that he did a couple of years ago, but love, first of all, that word is very ambiguous. What does it even mean? Well, he did some research and there's three tenets of it. There is intimacy, there is passion, and there is commitment. And any couple, if I were to get, and there's actually a a quiz that you could take, if I were to give you, that you and Jonna could take and see exactly where you placed on this triangle, it comes out to be a triangle, and you could see the differences in your relationship with each other. You could see if Jonna thought that you had amazing intimacy together, but Chris was like, eh, I don't really feel like we're very intimate. You could start seeing where these gaps are. Well, it's helpful to know where the gaps are, especially if your relationship is in a decent spot, because you can talk about it. When your relationship is in a really bad spot, it turns into a lot of fights. But intimacy basically means a... If you say it slower, you have it into me, see, 
when we have intimacy in our marriage and in our relationship, I feel like I can be vulnerable with you, open with you. You know my heart. You know my desires. You know the deepest wishes that I have. And I want to share those things with you. That's what this intimacy is. Then, and that's these questions I was saying. So you can start by asking each other questions, telling each other about your life's desires, your deep, dark secrets. Like this is going to build your intimacy. Then we have passion. And passion is the craving for oneness. So it can be sexual, but it doesn't necessarily have to be sexual. Um, I remember several years ago when I went on a girl's trip to Europe, which is super fun. But I remember seeing the Eiffel Tower lit up at night, completely sparkling like diamonds. And I was just thinking, I wish Rob, that's my husband, was here with me. I wish we were experiencing this together. This is, that's this, that's romance. That's that craving for oneness. I wished he was there with me. So doing more in your life where you have that craving for oneness. And if one of, or both people in a marriage don't feel that way right now, well, what are some things that you can do to connect that, to, to spark that craving for oneness? Some of it is kind of going through the motions, faking it till you make it. So make it, make a time to, connect, whether it's in the bedroom or outside of the bedroom on date night, once a week, twice a week, make it a schedule. Even if you're not feeling it at first, even if you look at, um, can I talk about sex? Yeah, that's our listeners favorite. Okay. 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 So even if you look at the process of sexual, like the sex, uh, now I can't even remember, but what a body goes through, what a female and a male body goes through during the sexual intercourse process It used to be that it was five stages and they narrowed it down in the past several years to where it's only four because they realized you don't, you really don't have to have desire in order to have a fulfilling sexual experience. So, and it used to think, and so even if you don't have that desire, what I'm trying to say is you can still go through the motions and you will gain the desire. You will eventually get to where you have that desire again. And this can be made a little more complicated if you start looking at the female hormone cycle and things like that, which I'm not going to get into. But the bottom line of it is be intentional intentional about connecting in a way that increases your craving for oneness with your spouse. If that's a weekly date night or making sure that you're having sex two to three times a week, do it. That is important for your marriage. Everything that happens inside of the bedroom will affect what happens outside of the bedroom and everything that happens outside of the bedroom will affect what happens inside of the bedroom. You can't disconnect the two. So be sure you're focusing on that. And then the third one is commitment. So knowing that your spouse is in it with you for the long haul. One of the things I tell people all the time is never threaten divorce in a fight. In, I mean, what just any time well, we should just divorce. We never should have gotten married. Don't say those things. It begins to chip away at your feelings of security and commitment in your relationship over time until you don't have it anymore. And you and you begin to believe it and you begin to say, yeah, why don't we just? And it can be so easy to say it in the middle of a fight. Don't say it. I'm a sucker for frameworks. You're killing it. <laughs> he is. He likes to have a step oh, dude, process. Awesome. And, Give okay. me the platform. Yes. 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 And that's actually something that we both told ourselves from day one. That's advice that somebody gave us. And we were like, yep. Okay. Divorce is not an option. It's not on the table. But 
but we still went through a very tough time in when what the first three years of our marriage. And it was, there was a time where the word came up, not in a threat, but in a serious, like, I don't know what we're doing here. Yeah, like, 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 I'm why not are we happy. even together? Why right. are we together? Yeah. But I do want to just kind of affirm for what, what, what you were talking about, the dream. That is something that definitely increased our intimacy as far as just our marriage. Oh, yeah. We sat down together once and, um, more than once, but the first time we did it, we sat down and did a dream document together where we just big picture dreamed till the end of our life. And that was one of the most spiritual, intimate, personal moments we've ever had together. Yeah. And that this podcast was on that dream document. Yes. So Mm -hmm. it was pretty wild. We, we were not running a podcast. I was running my own podcast. Just, I just started one and this podcast was on that. And our listeners pretty well know that story. Um, You know, I'm going to ask you this question because I know, I, I know you've dealt with it. So what, what about the people that are highly practical and dreams almost feel like they're promising themselves to do something and they, they just can't let their brain go there. I know Ooh. so many people like that. That's my husband. So my, and this was actually something that we really struggled with at the beginning of our marriage because he is super analytical, very, just very much like that. And he would say, I can't say something if I'm not a hundred percent sure I can do it and follow through with it. And I'm like, then what are we going to do? So even, even to the extent of like, let's go hiking this weekend. And he'd be like, we'll have to see, like he wouldn't commit to anything. And it drove me crazy. Drove me crazy. Um, so your question was, what about those people who can't even, can't even let themselves dream? I, the setup of it and how you present it is a huge part. So if it's the spouse of the analytical person listening right now, then if you all of a sudden go home and you're like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to write down all of our dreams. We're going to use it to navigate our future. It's going to be great. Then your, your analytical spouse is going to freak out because typically people who are analytical also need time to process. So if you frame it differently as I just want us to not, not, not that we are promising this is what we're going to do with our life, but just a snapshot of how we feel now. If there was, if we could have all the resources in the world, we could make all of this happen. Uh, what were, what are some things we're going to do? And making sure it's clear that the spouse who's more spontaneous, more of a dreamer, isn't going to hold the analytical spouse or the commitment phobic spouse to what is written on the paper, then it gives some freedom to it. So that's one thing that you could try in doing that. Um, And then also just realize where your spouse is coming from. So maybe it's a rewording of it. Instead of using the word dream, it could be, what is it, you know, what are some visions that you, what is a vision you have for what our marriage looks like or what are, you know, what, what you want to do in the future. Um, So you can just use some different things like that to try and frame it. Framing is really big, but if it's the person listening to this spouse, that is the analytical one and you're thinking, Oh my goodness, I don't I don't even know how to think that far ahead because it takes too much powering process to get my brain to think that way. Then that's okay. Think for the next year. Think for the next 6 months. I mean just start somewhere of something that you would want to do, ideally with your spouse, ideally with your life, something exciting to you. Maybe it's planning a trip. It could literally be as easy as saying over Christmas break, we're going to go spend three days at the mountains. It's starting somewhere. 
I love that. So I'm thinking though, I'm thinking of the listener who's like, okay, this sounds good. I like all this stuff, but you lost me way back at the path because I know my husband and I don't have, you know, step one or step four or whatever. We've never had that. Or if I come to my spouse with this, like he's gonna be like, I don't know. Like, you know, like he's not going to conversate with me about this. How do I move forward then if you know what I mean if the spouse that's listening right now obviously if somebody's listening to our show they probably have at least a little bit of interest in being the one who wants to grow and develop their marriage but what about the spouse who is not in that place where they're like I'm not even gonna approach him with this because he'll just you know look at me and laugh or whatever you know how do we start to Mm -hmm. help that person Mm mm-hmm What I see a lot, and of course, I have a skewed demographic of the people I work with at Marriage Helper, but what I see a lot that doesn't work is when you try to to force podcasts or videos or articles on your spouse when they're not willing and they're not in the space to be able to receive it. So part of it is managing your expectations. So you're learning, you're growing, you're advancing forward and in your personal growth and and hopefully the growth of your marriage, it can be easy to start and um, assess your spouse based on what you know and forget that they don't know it too. So so take that into account of, I'm not going to judge my spouse here. I'm not going to take this and, and start applying new expectations to my marriage or my spouse because they don't have this understanding and awareness. And the best way that you can begin to show your spouse is through change in your behavior. So when you're learning of even what we're talking about here with um, the four, the love path, the four stages of falling in love. Well, we know that it starts with attraction. So if you go to your spouse and you're like, you need to be more attractive, that's not going to work. It's not going <laughs> right. to work. Like they're not in the mindset of wanting to hear this right now. So instead, live it. Realize that you can only focus on you, change yourself, start working on areas to become more attractive for you. They'll see it. They may not ever comment on it, but they're going to see it. Then when it comes to acceptance, you can do all of these stages without your spouse knowing that you're guiding your relationship through it. So even in that acceptance stage, you're asking questions. You are simply asking questions to learn and understand more about your spouse. And there's so many tools that you can use to help you with this. If you're thinking, I don't know what to ask my spouse, I guarantee, I don't care how long you've been married, you do not know everything about your spouse. And there are a lot of things you can find online that are just 25 questions to ask your spouse, 50 questions, just start there, just start asking questions. Even if it's just, how was your day? What happened at work? How are you? How is your sister? I mean, whatever it is, get talking. And then over time, as you're talking more, as you're having better conversations, as you're learning more about each other, then then go into this part about, hey, what are some what are some things that you would like us to do over the next year? What is a big dream that you have for your life over the next 25, 30 years? And just ask it. It doesn't have to be a huge event where you're sitting down, you have a whiteboard and all of that. It could just be you're driving in the car on the way to a restaurant and you ask a question and you just see how it goes. And you can do all of these things without, without overwhelming your spouse. Although I think the tendency, and especially it was for me, was you want your spouse to be doing it the same way you're doing it. I wanted my spouse, my husband to be 
listening to the podcast and reading the books and doing all the stuff. Um, but when I began to live it first, it, it rubbed off on him over time, over like a year or two time. It wasn't even over a couple of days or weeks. It took a couple of years, but I, I fundamentally had to shift my focus of what my expectations were of him and not place so many expectations on him. It was ridiculous. The amount of expectations I put on him. Mm, That's good. That's, that's really good. And I'm going to kind of piggyback off of what you said and ask you, ask you how, how important is it? How important is availability these days? Because it's like, we always have our, we always, we always have our heads and our phones or, or, well, that's, that's the night he has his hobby. That's, that's when she does this. That's when she's doing laundry, whatever, you know? And so I feel like, I feel like we have so much resistance behind having conversations with one another because life is so busy. Right. So, so do you have any, and again, I'm putting you on the spot here on this one, but do you, do you have any, um, do you, do you have any tips for, for just making ourselves more available? Um, just as a couple in general, does that, does that make sense? I don't know where I'm going with this. Do you know where I'm going with it? It does. No, it makes perfect I'm, sense. I'm glad you know where I'm going with it. I didn't I know, know where you're going. I get you. I get you. I got it. What's interesting about that is, I don't know, probably 15 years ago now, uh, my dad worked with another PhD researcher and they did a longitudinal study of what makes strong families. And they wrote a book. It was called Fantastic Families, Seven Principles of What Makes a Great, Great Strong Family Unit. But I'm going to tell you one of them that's absolutely I mean, this this concept is groundbreaking. You hear all of the time. It's about quality time, like make strong quality time that you have, just make it the most, even if it's 30 minutes a week, make the most of it. Well, in the study that they did of what historically creates strong families is it's not quantity time or quality time. It is quantity time. The more time you spend together, the stronger the family is going to be. So how does this relate to your marriage? It's the exact same. It's not just about connecting over date night once a month. It's and making it really great, going to the best restaurant you know, whatever it might be, that's great. That's nice. But that's not going to be long term what makes your marriage healthy and strong. It's how many times you connect, even if it's short spurts throughout the week. So absolutely, your question is important because it's very needed. And now we're more distracted than ever. Some practical tips are, and they're hard to do, is put your phone down at 5pm, turn it off, turn the TV off, talk to each other. I mean, that I feel stupid saying it like that, but because it's like, that's the answer. You turn off the things that are distracting you and you focus on each other. Now there's a hundred reasons people will say they can't do that. A hundred. Two months ago, I signed off social media. I haven't been back on my own account since I've had to go on work accounts for a couple of things, but it has been the most freeing thing because I realized that's what I was doing in my evenings. I was, I felt like I had to check and respond to do all this stuff. And I was drawing away from my husband. So I turned it off two years ago. My husband gave up his smartphone completely. He doesn't even wow. have one. Oh, mad respect. That's incredible. It is incredible. He says he's never going to go back because he, and he doesn't have that temptation anymore. So oh, when that's... he's sitting on the couch with me, it's him. He has nothing there to distract him. It was me who had my phone and I'd be like, let me just check my email real quick. Let me just do whatever. I still struggle with this. I'm, I am convicting myself as I'm answering your question. (laughs) And so I'm like, I've got to 
I've, we have to make a change, a fundamental shift in the way that we connect with our family and especially our spouses uh, after 5 p.m. Uh, we say, I mean, we say it all the time. We're like, if nothing changes, nothing changes. So if you're going to keep doing yep. the same thing and expect a different result again, what is that insanity? And we have gone through stages where we've been like, okay, Chris will put his phone away. We actually, our episode that went out, I think, was it today? Is it today Wednesday? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Our episode that went out today talked about that, um, talked about putting your phone away and the di- the difference that makes, because it is such a temptation. Like you said, there's so many apps on there vying for your attention that it's such a temptation. You hear it go off. You're like, I got to yeah. like, you might not check it, but you're still thinking like, what if that was an email? Yeah. Who's messaging me? I got to answer my friend, my sister, mm-hmm. whatever. So, well, it comes down to the, the screens, the phones, the t- all those things have become resistance towards like better relationships and a better life. And yeah. anybody who studies habits and understands how people ingrain habits, like, you have to, you, you have to create resistance around um, around bad habits, right? And so we're actually creating resistance around good habits. And so we're definitely not going to be able to improve our relationships and our marriages and things like that. And it's becoming progressively more normal and very, like people are going to hear what, what you said about your husband giving up his phone. They're going to be like, what? That's ridiculous, yeah. right? It's ridiculous. But the truth is, I'm sure it has made a massive difference in your all's relationship. And it's still going to continue to keep a sense of self-awareness for you uh, in your involvement with your phone, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yes. And you know, have y'all noticed that people really like, they want a magic pill. They want something to just be super easy. <laughs> you're I think you're in our brain right too. Yeah. You're, you're literally talking to a fitness guy right now, but yes, go ahead. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's true. Right. Especially around fitness. And the magic pill is you just have to change your behavior. You got to do the work. Okay. So we actually did an interview with our pastor and his wife and they said something like that. That was like mind blowing. So they're talking, we always talk about social media and the highlight reel. Right. And how most of the time you're like, okay, that's just their highlights. That's not real. But he's like, but some of those people, it is real, but are you willing to do the work? Are you willing to put into the work to have that that relationship or to have that body or to have that job or whatever we live in such an age of like entitlement and expectations of like, well, my marriage sucks and I want you to make it better now, which I'm sure you see a lot of it's like, wait, I actually have to like change my habits and look inwardly at what I'm doing wrong. Why can't you just change her? You know? Yeah. Oh yeah. That's where people start. Most of the time we're able to, you know, gain their trust and show them the other things they could do. But sometimes people never leave that space of, no, you just need to fix them. And it's like, you're Mm -hmm. missing, you're missing the whole. Yeah. I guess I'm just curious, uh, just for my own curiosity here. So what about what, what's the number one reason why a, what am I trying to say? What's the number one reason why a marriage does not succeed? Even if they go through your program, you give them all the tools. Is it just that they That's don't do question. it? Oh, now when you first started asking the question, I had a different answer. <sighs> okay. Can I answer the question? Why is it marriages don't succeed? And then answer the question yes. after going through. Okay. So Definitely. the first one is according to the research, there are three reasons that people get divorced and you can even extrapolate that further to say there are three reasons relationships end. 
And it is either because one or both people do not feel liked, loved, or respected. Mm -hmm. All of the things, the in-laws, the finances, the parenting, the work, like all of those other things fall under one or both people ultimately don't feel like they are liked, loved, or respected. So that is the reason relationships end. Now, after going through our program, if a marriage still doesn't work out, people still have free will. So what we do, especially through our workshop, that and that's our that's our flagship thing that people know about, people from all over the world, even when we were doing them here in Nashville and they were only in person, would literally fly from China, Germany, Guam, Singapore, Amazing. everywhere to come to these workshops because that has the 77% success rate. And so, of course, no one wants to be in the 23%. No one wants to go through all of that and, and realize that ultimately their marriage isn't going to work. But here's the thing. When you're talking about a relationship, there's two people and we have free will. My husband has the choice at any point to leave. He has the choice to do the wrong thing. He has the choice to do the right thing. Same with me. I mean, ultimately, we have free will. I could be I could do all of the things that I need to do. And my husband might still choose to walk out the door. Does that mean it didn't work? It might mean that my that marriage didn't make it. But if I did the change in me as a person, then was it a failure? Did I learn from it? Did I grow from it? Am I ultimately coming out the other side better no matter what has happened? And 99% of the people we work with, even when their marriage isn't saved, they will still say, it's the best thing they ever did. Not, not the divorce, but, you know, going, learning what they learned about themselves, going through our program. And they, and they ultimately end up having peace. And they say, I realize I, I, I have done everything I can do. And I have peace with that. They're able to move forward. They feel more confident moving forward in their life. So why the program doesn't work ultimately, um, hard hearts. Mm -hmm. One person has a hard heart and is not willing to soften it. Wow. Amazing. No, but that's a goal though, because I, that's something, you know, not that we are marriage gurus, but we do give marriage advice. Obviously we have a podcast, but that's something we've talked about before. And I've told um, people in my life, I'm like, look, whether you, your marriage succeeds or not, aren't you going to be happy with taking care of what you need to take care right. of and better and becoming the best version of yourself? Because at the end of the day, both of you being the negatives, nobody's winning. Nobody's going right. to, I mean, I know in real math, two negatives make a positive, right? <laughs> I do know that about real math, but in life, two of you <laughs> not working on yourselves and not working on your marriage or trying to do anything, just like you said, having the hard hearts, everybody's losing. So yeah. I like that. That's and almost like a spirit of deception, right? So in my mind, I feel like hard hearts comes down to just being deceived into still believing, ah, no, 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 this is about me and my happiness now. And this is about, and this is about the grass is green on the other side and mm -hmm. this will yeah. be better overall. Right. So yeah. would yeah. you say, would you say both of those are pretty, pretty close together? Well, yes. And I even, I even think it's scriptural when the people came to Jesus and said, what about divorce? Why did Moses permit divorce? And Jesus responded and said, no, he, per they permitted divorce because hearts were hard because there were hard hearts. It was never God's plan. It was never God's intention. He simply allowed it to happen because of the hardness of people's hearts, but not his plan, which goes right back to 
what you were saying, like, yes, there's a deception. So we're deceived. We can be deceived by the wants and desires of our flesh and of the world that are pulling at us. We, I would be happier if I was in this other relationship or if I was married to a different person or if I had a different job or if my kids were different. I mean, there's a hundred things that we can deceive ourselves into thinking our life would be better if or because of, but that whole time it's hardening our hearts to where next time our kids need us, but we're mad at them because our life is hard and it's stressful and gosh, can they please just go back to school? Like our, <laughs> our hearts are becoming harder to their wants and their desires and their needs that, that we should be attuned to. And same with our spouse. If we're, if we're halfway thinking of how our life could be better over here and trying to deceive ourselves into that grass is greener then the next time they're, they're coming to us with something with a need, we're more likely to see them as being annoying instead Mm. of having empathy towards them and wanting to reach out to them and help them and, and be their, their spouse, their helpmate. And so, yes, I would agree all that to say, Chris, you're right. <laughs> oh, I love that. Wow. Oh, so <laughs> record it, play it all the time. Rest. Right. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. On loop. Okay. So Kimberly, I am going to drop a truth bomb on somebody listening right now. Uh, and this is, and this is going to be the last thing we're, we're going to, we're going to end on here. Okay. So here's the, the fact of the matter is this, somebody is listening right now and there is a spirit of deception on them right now. They are in a place where they could use marriage help and through your organization, marriage helper, right? Because you've explained so many amazing things. And I really, I really do believe that there's someone listening who's like, ah, I should reach out to them. But then there's, but there's the other side of them that's deceiving them saying like, ah, it's fine. We'll get through it. We'll make it happen. It'll be fine. I don't want to, I don't want to stir the pot, yada, yada, yada. So whoever's on the fence right now, who's like, Ooh, I, I want more, you know, from my marriage. I want to make sure we, we, uh, we are happy. Right. Um, and this marriage is successful. Speak to the person on the fence, um, as we end this episode. Hmm. I would say that if there's any part of you that is wondering if your marriage could be better, then you definitely need to start investing in making your marriage better now. And whether that where whether that is done through what we do at Marriage Helper or or whatever it is, I first and foremost believe you need to trust the person that you're going to listen to. Because there are a lot of people out there who will sell you lies and gimmicks mm-hmm. and false hope mm-hmm. and say Seven text messages to get your spouse to crawl back to you on their knees. Um, it no, no, it doesn't work. That's not how it is. Uh, and that those things infuriate me. But there's also people out there who you would. I, so I was trained as a marriage and family therapist, and I also know, unfortunately, that there are many counselors and therapists who are not pro marriage. They're not. They will tell you to do what makes you happy. They, when my husband and I went to marriage counseling in that first four years of our marriage, the counselor told us to use porn together. It would make our marriage better. Um, In my individual counseling, my counselor told me that I should have never gotten married, that I was too young. (laughs) And that is, that is detrimental and destructive to people who are in the middle of already having these questions. So first and foremost, I would encourage you to find someone who is pro-marriage who believes in marriage and who is willing to walk with you, answer your questions, even if it's not, you know, one-on-one, but through what you're reading or what you're listening to, you need to fe- you need in your spirit to feel like this is something trustworthy. 
and there's not shame in it. So what I would, the other thing I would encourage you is there's a lot of shame in our culture that puts around getting help or learning how to invest in your marriage. And I, I, and I hate that that's there because there's nowhere else in our lives that there's shame like that. When, when people are wanting to join a fitness plan, it's celebrated. It's exciting. Like, yes, go do it. And some people might feel some shame based on, you know, their weight and things like that. But, but overall, there's not a culture of shame around it where like there is around our marriage. And so I would encourage you to, to push through that because your marriage is more important than any of those things. Please put your focus on it. Please put your focus on it. It's not going to get better if you don't do something to make it better. Yes. My goodness. That's perfect. Can I just, can we get an amen? Yes. I love it. I love it. All right. So Kimberly, (laughs) where, where can people find out more about marriage helper and oh, we can't find you because you deleted your social media. Right, I already looked. Heck? I was like, where Jeez. is she? There's a lot of Kimberly Holmes out there. <laughs> right. Yeah. So so where can people find Marriage Helper? We are so excited to point people in this direction. Yeah. So you can go to our website, marriagehelper.com. You can also find us on YouTube. We have a lot going on over there. We're posting, I think, three or four videos a week. And all of those are free. And you don't have to give an email address or feel weird about it. Like just go and watch and find something that fits you and and works for you and and start there. But whatever it is, I mean, eventually, if you get to the point where you want to know more, we do have a team of people who can guide you to resources and and what we have that you can speak to and ask questions to that will be caring and compassionate and totally for you and for your marriage. So um, whatever we can do, I mean, we just, we have a vision of, of seeing marriages saved. So we want to, we want to help that happen. I love that. I do want to ask, are all your, um, is your team, is it all coaches, therapists, are you guys all trained similarly? So... I'm hesitating because we have, we totally have about 48 people on our team and not all of us are are masters and above. Um, Our, our workshop facilitators all have a masters or above our coaches. have all gone, gone through and our marriage helper certified coaches, but then we have the rest of our team who like our client relations representatives and our marketing team and things like that, who, who don't, but we all have the vision of saving marriages. And it's what all of us are a hundred percent passionate about. No, I love that. That's great. I think I was just wondering from like the poor person who wants to get help, like, wait, am I reaching out to a bunch of therapists or what am I oh, reaching so out no. to here? Got None it. of us are, are certified therapists. So I had, I began my master's in marriage and family therapy, but we don't do therapy or counseling. We have coaching Got it. and we have our workshops, but actual counseling and therapy we do not do. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. Man, that's good. And now I'm super excited. Guys, we're going to have Kimberly back again to talk about what we were originally... Oh, I just threw all the cups of water on the ground. <laughs> so excited. <laughs> what we were going to originally talk about, which is um, four specific areas that you can focus on to be the best spouse you can be. And now I just promised it. So you have to come back. Ooh. I will. I will. I loved it. You guys are so fun to talk to. Did you hear what she said? She said, I'm fun. I know I'm fun. He's not usually fun. What the heck? (laughs) Best interview ever. Kimberly, (laughs) thank you so much. This has been great. Yeah. Thanks so much. And we will look forward to having you back on the show. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the Grow Yourself, Grow Your Marriage podcast. Guys, 
I hope you love this interview as much as we did because I, I know I say it all the time, but Kimberly brought the gold and so much so that after this show was recorded, we connected with her and the team at Marriage Helpers to see how we could get involved in furthering their mission. Because when Chris and I signed up to do this podcast, that's a goal we had was to reduce the number of divorces in this country, in the world, actually. And um, they are doing it and we want to be a part of it. Yeah. So like Jonna said, after the call, we connected with them and they actually gave us access to a lot of their material. And I don't know, guys, look, I I am personally a sucker for frameworks and systems and all those things. And, and just going through some of their course material and stuff, it's awesome stuff. We really encourage you guys to check it out. So we actually have a link in the show notes for you to go to that's going to direct you to all the resources you need. And I think the coolest thing about it, well, not the coolest, but one of the coolest things about it is you don't have to be in a place where both you and your spouse are ready to do this. It might just be you in this time ready to move forward and work on your marriage. And that's okay because a lot of their materials are directed at that. So, Yeah. Awesome, guys. All right. Well, thanks for joining us today. And we will talk to you soon.